This is Dr. Jimmy Nichols, equine nutritionist. On this podcast, we will explore unique cases, debunk popular myths, and break down advanced research data. Join me for a little fun, a lot of science, and some real-world advice for feeding horses. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Jimmy. Welcome to episode 84. Have you ever wondered how much a horse is actually supposed to eat? Well, there really is no need to wonder because there's actual calculations and estimations and science to support how much a horse needs to consume on a daily basis um, in order to maintain a healthy and properly functioning digestive tract. So today's episode was inspired by a few listener questions. Um, The first actually comes in from Lori, who says, how do you know how much grass your horse can actually eat? Is there testing that needs to be done, a formula to use? It would be great if you could talk about this on one of your podcasts. I appreciate that question, Lori. So as a general rule of thumb, uh, let's say that you have uh, an average, uh, let's say, 1,000-pound horse. Um, They're going to eat about one to two pounds of pasture dry matter per hour that they're grazing. That's kind of your your rule of thumb. So an average horse is going to spend, let's say the average horse spends 16 hours per day grazing. That would mean that that horse is going to consume between 16 to 32 pounds of pasture dry matter per day, okay? So again, that horse was 1,000 pounds, so if we turn that into percent of body weight, that means they're going to be eating or consuming around 1.6 to 3.2% of their body weight. Now, I'm not sure if anyone is catching the theme here, but if you've been listening to any of my past episodes, you've probably heard me use the words 2% of body weight, okay? So this is kind of where that comes from. This is all falling in line, right? Um, A horse should consume, on average, around 2% of body weight per day. Now, that's just a rule of thumb, okay? So some horses are really easy keepers. Um, you may need to kind of limit them a little bit. You may need to push them down on that. Maybe those horses only get 1.5% or 1.6% of their body weight, right? They're going to be on that lower range. Um, let's say you've got a harder keeper or maybe you have a horse that is in really high workload and they have a lot of um, you know, calorie requirements, a lot of nutritional requirements. Those horses, you may need to encourage them to eat more, right? You may you may need to try to push them upwards of two and a half or even three percent of their body weight. Um, but you know, I, I always use two percent just because it's a really good average. It's kind of right in the middle of that range. Um, you know, it's the majority of horses do really well at two percent. Um, but but then, you know, you just, you kind of have to use your common sense. You have to use um, your horse smarts, if you will, your barn smarts, and pay attention to what 2% looks like on that horse. Now, there are, um, there's actually a couple tricks to managing horses on pasture. Um, the first thing that I want to make sure everyone remembers is that you have to make sure that you have enough pasture actually available for your horse. And then the second trick is understanding that the dry matter content of pasture is much lower than that of hay, okay? So there's a little bit of math that is going to have to be involved here. Um, okay, so let's let's start with the first. So, you know, making sure that there's enough grass for your horse. Um, what I mean by this is, you know, every region is going to be a little bit different. 
And it's very wise for you to have a good understanding of what the stocking rate for your particular region or your particular pastures are, okay? So the stocking rate is going to take into account, um, you know, the the types of grasses, the species of grasses, grasses that are in your pasture, you know, whether it's primarily cool season, whether you've got warm season, um, what that the number of growing days are for the species that are in your pasture. Um, it's going to take into account the rainfall, the typical rainfall um, for your area. It's going to take into account the 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 growing days, right? So the temperature, the number of days in a year in which um, the ground is warm enough for the species of grasses that are in your ground to grow. Um, and and another thing too that you have to consider is is how well the grasses that are in your pasture will tolerate drought or grazing or trampling, right? Soil compaction. Um, all of these things are going to have to be taken into account, and every pasture is going to be a little bit different. Um, every region of the country is going to be a little bit different, right? So the thing that you have to keep in mind is that each piece of land is only going to produce a certain amount of forage. And if it can only produce a certain amount of forage, that means it can only support a certain number of horses. Okay. So the, the beef cattle industry absolutely lives and dies by this information, right? They, they fully understand, um, the whole concept of how much forage is there, how many cattle can go on, right? They understand the difference in stocking rates and stocking density, okay? So if a cattle producer is going to be successful, they, I mean, they just, they have to have a fundamental understanding of how much forage is available in their pasture and for how long that forage is going to last. So, you know, once they know that information, um, they, they then basically have to put pen to paper or finger to smartphone calculator and figure out how much live weight or how many pounds of cattle can be placed on that piece of ground and for how long before they have to pull out, um, pull the herd out of that piece of land and let it rest and recuperate, you know, basically regrow. Um, so again, you know, the cattle industry is is pretty good at this, or at least they're expected to be. If if they're going to be successful, they should they should be good at this, okay? The horse industry, well, let's just say that we have a lot of educating to do. Um I would I would venture to say that, you know, horse owners are a bit notorious for overstocking. Uh, meaning we put too many horses on too little pasture, too small of land, like too few of acres. Um, we're also notorious for allowing our horses to overgraze pastures, meaning um, we allow our horses to eat more of the plant than we should before we pull those horses off. Um, or that's if we ever pull the horses off. There's a lot of horse pastures out there that just have horses on them all year round, 365 days a year, and and they don't um, they don't allow the pasture time to rest. So when we do that, um, when we overgraze a plant, that means that we take away too much of the plant's um, green material, and and we take away the plant's ability to photosynthesize, and that means we take away its ability to regrow and recuperate, and when we overgraze a plant, that means that it it um, because it 
it can't photosynthesize and because it can't regrow, it becomes weak and it either dies or weeds come on and the weeds just completely outcompete the grass. Okay. And then before long, we end up with these pastures um, that are overcome with weeds and have very little grazable grass. Um, and then in that situation, you've got to start employing, you know, weed management strategies and protocols. Um, you know, so there's, there's all kinds of ways you can go about that. You know, you can mow, you can, um, use, uh, sprays, uh, you know, weed, um, weed killers basically. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of things that we, we do to ourselves, <laughs> um, because we overgraze our pastures with our horses. So kind of back to the original question, you know, how, how much pasture grass will my horse eat? Well, that has a lot to do with how much pasture grass is actually available, right? So if we, if we have allowed the horses to completely overgraze the pasture and the only thing that's left are weeds, okay, the horse, the horse may be out there and it may look like they're grazing, but they're not actually able to consume the amount that's needed, right? So, so horses are going to, um, like that grazing reflex, it's, it's, it really is like a reflex, right? They, they need to be out there trying to chew and nibble and, and graze, right? And so if the grass is absolutely grazed to the ground and it just looks like a green carpet out there, um, you know, that horse will have his head down trying to graze, but they're not actually consuming a lot. So you need to pay attention, you know, to how much forage and, and matter is actually out there in your pastures. So then the second part really is around understanding what it means when we talk about the dry matter content. Okay. So pasture grass, um, pasture grass can actually be up to, you know, 75 to 80% moisture. Um, and, and, and that's why I keep saying that a horse needs a certain amount of dry matter. Okay. It's not total weight. It's a dry matter content that we need to pay attention to. So for example, um, hay, hay generally contains around 10% moisture. So if you feed 10 pounds of hay, you can just count on at least one pound of that being moisture or water. Okay. And then the other nine pounds of that is what we call dry matter. Now, on the other hand, let's say a horse eats 10 pounds of pasture. Well, for the sake of simple math, let's say that pasture is 80% moisture. That means eight pounds of what that horse ate is water, okay? And only 2% of it is dry matter. So that means a horse would have to eat 45 pounds of actual pasture grass in order to get the same dry matter intake as that 10 pounds of hay. Okay, so that water weight, that water weight is something that horse people kind of forget about, right? The the rest of animal agriculture formulates everything on what we call a, a dry matter basis. Um, and the reason for that is, is that's the only way to get everything in the diet on a level playing field. So we understand like what nutritionally, exactly what nutritionally is going into that animal. Because in the rest of animal agriculture, we formulate diets literally down to the penny or the half penny, right? So in, in the horse world though, that's kind of a, a foreign concept, right? We, so we generally, um, as horse owners, we don't talk about dry matter basis. So this actually is a really good lead-in to a second listener question. And this question comes from Stacy, who says, I know in cattle there is an optimal dry matter intake. Do horses have that as well? 
I listened to your feeding weedlings to two-year-olds episode. You said that a yearling may need about six to eight pounds of grain, depending on the type of feed and the weight of the, of the yearling. Now, is there a concern with just the general amount of feed? Like, for example, an 800-pound yearling eating 2% hay in body weight, that's 16 pounds, plus, say, six pounds of growth feed, that's like 2.75% of body weight. Is there a range where it's too much? I didn't adjust it for dry matter, I know, but you get the idea. Thoughts? I'm having troubles finding answers to this one. All right, I'm guessing that Stacy either has experience in the livestock industry or she just took really, really good notes in her college feeds and feedings class. All right, so, so just to recap, yes, there is an optimal dry matter intake for horses. Um, that amount, again, is going to vary just a little bit depending on the horse. Um, it'll vary depending on their individual metabolism, you know, what, what we're expecting out of them. But a good rule of thumb is 2% of body weight. Um, so that, and, and that's by dry matter. So if you have a thousand pound horse, that means they should be eating 20 pounds per day of dry matter. All right. Now, the piece that was maybe a little bit overlooked as Stacy was kind of thinking through the yearling situation is that the, the total dry matter intake is for your hay plus your pasture plus your, plus your grain. But I generally start with the grain portion because most horses are going to choose to eat their grain no matter what. And if they're going to limit themselves, they'll limit on their hay. So, so let's take that 800-pound yearling that she mentioned. Um, so 2% of body weight for an 800-pound yearling would be 16 pounds. So she nailed that. Um, now, let's say that you feed six pounds per day of concentrate or a grain meal um, because you need a way to provide, you know, the extra calories, the amino acids, the vitamins, and the minerals. Um, so if you're feeding six pounds and the yearling needs 16 pounds total um, dry matter intake per day, that means you've got 10 pounds left over for your forage. Okay, so so in that situation, that that 800 pound yearling is probably actually eating 10 pounds of forage and then six pounds of the concentrate for a total of 16 pounds per day, which is two percent of body weight. Now they might eat a little bit more forage than that for a little bit higher rate. Um, you know, it, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if a yearling actually did eat two and a half or even 2.75 percent of body weight. I I would be perfectly fine with that. Um, you know, kind of I guess another way to think about this. Um, Basically, I will feed six pounds per day of, um, let's take intensified growth and development feed. Okay, I would feed six pounds per day of that. And then basically, I'm going to let that yearling eat as much quality forage as he wants to after that. But I would make 100% certain that I am offering at least 12 pounds per day of that forage to him. Now, why 12 pounds and not 10 pounds? Okay. If his target intake is 16 pounds and we're feeding six pounds in grain, shouldn't I make sure to offer at least 10 pounds of hay? No, I'm going to offer 12 pounds of hay and here's why. So I'm assuming that the moisture content of that hay is 10%. So for every 10 pounds of hay that I feed, I lose one pound of dry matter. Okay. So I know that some of you are thinking, you know, doing mental math, right? And you're like, okay, well, that still only gets me to 11 pounds of hay. What's the extra pound for? Like, why are you feeding 12 pounds instead of 11 pounds then? Well, that extra pound is for waste, okay? So I don't want to limit that growing baby in any way as far as this forage intake. So I'm going to account for that extra pound of hay that, you know, gets blown away in the wind or trampled into the mud or just like lost and sh sifted into the shavings. I mean, there, 
there is no horse that literally eats every single ounce that you feed to him. There's, there's waste that you need to account for that. Now, there are a lot of horses out there that don't read the textbooks, okay? So you can do the math, you can pencil all of this out, but then you still have to use common sense and you still have to pay attention to what's going on in your barn, right? So if your yearling is absolutely cleaning up every blade and leaf of hay that you offer, give them more. Okay. I mean, unless they are becoming obese, which is rarely a problem with a young growing horse like that. Um, I like to, I like to offer them just as much forage as they will eat. Um, and then I like to offer as little grain as will get the job done in terms of balancing that hay ration. Okay. So remember in a growing horse, hay alone, even if it is, let's say it's mostly alfalfa, that hay alone will not provide the correct levels of trace minerals and vitamins, okay? And, and, and no, for those of you who are thinking this, adding oats to that mix for the grain does not help either, okay? Oats do not provide the trace minerals and the vitamins that that, that forage lacks. So you have to provide a diet balancer or a loose mineral in addition. Um, or if, if, if you don't want to do those two things, you need to provide um, the, the trace minerals and the vitamins through a fortified feed. Now, my favorite feed, I just mentioned it a little bit earlier, is intensified growth and development by Blue Bonnet Feeds. So if I had babies on the ground right now, um, you can bet that every one of those babies and their mamas would be on intensified growth and development. Um, you know, it just, it, it provides the amino acids, the trace minerals, the vitamins, um, digestive support technologies, like all of these things that can really, um, in my mind, um, from, from what I have been able to read and have gathered from the research and gathered just from the experience of seeing all of these horses on this feed, it, it, it just really makes a difference when you provide a comprehensive nutritional package. Now, I get that some folks are in a little bit tighter spot financially, um, and and they might have to sacrifice some technology. So if you know if you find yourself in that situation, um, the next best option as far as a feed is one called Horseman's Elite Mare and Full. Um, so I'm responsible for formulating both of those products. And um, you know, to the very best of my ability, I have included every technology that I could for the price point of each, right? So obviously the the intensified growth and development is going to have much more in terms of, you know, digestive care and technologies that can really help um, help that growing baby. So things like think in terms of, you know, bone density and and um, really ensuring normal growth patterns and doing everything that we can to make sure that proper nutrition is there um, in ways that goes beyond just basic nutrition, right? So so the Horseman's Elite Mare and Full is going to have everything you need in terms of your basic nutrition, right? Vitamins, minerals, amino acids, calories, protein, all of the things. But if you want to kind of ratchet it up and like go almost more into like the the biohacking terms, right? The the functional technologies, the functional nutrition aspect, right? So I'm talking more bioavailable calcium, more bioavailable copper, zinc, manganese, um, cobalt, those type of things. Those are the technologies um, that are going to be formulated into the Intensify product. So, okay, not, not to get too far off track there. Um, obviously, I would feed intensified growth and development. Then I would offer as much good quality hay as those yearlings will eat, okay? 
Um, now I would for sure have to have that hate analyzed, but most likely I would be looking, um, you know, kind of as a general rule of thumb, I would start with like a 50, 50 mix of, of grass, hay and alfalfa. Um, I might go just a touch higher on the alfalfa, um, for, for a weanling or for a yearling, unless, unless the grass hay that I have, you know, is just like absolutely top notch, then I wouldn't, then I maybe wouldn't go quite as much alfalfa. But, you know, bottom line, my goal is definitely going to be to let those yearlings eat as much forage as they possibly will. Now, there was a third listener question that came in um, that I think fits pretty well into this episode. Um, this one comes in from Sammy, and Sammy says, I'm, I'm moving my horses to a new property in the spring. They currently are on pasture that used to be a Timothy grass hay field, but it hasn't been replanted in years because I buy hay now and there's really no more need to harvest hay there anymore. My horse is prone to foregut ulcers due to stress. I'm looking to see what I should plant for my horses to graze and what type of forage I should have them on throughout the year. Both of my horses are easy keepers and they gain weight very easily. My vet said the less sugar, the better. Um, I'm not sure what I should do to keep their gut healthy while, while they graze. All right. Thank you for that question, Sammy. Um, I'd say the best place to start would be to visit with your state extension specialist. So go find that person that focuses on forages and specializes in range, range grasses. Okay. So every region of the country um, will have grass species that are specifically adapted to the growing conditions. Um, you know, so soil type, temperatures, rainfall. And, and you need to make sure that if you're going to plant new grass into a pasture, you need to select something that is going to fit your area appropriately. Um, so without knowing, you know, where you live, what region you're in, it's really tough for me to provide any specifics on that. Um, I'm also not a range specialist or a forage specialist by any means. Um, so I, even myself, I would default to my local extension agent and um, just get with a state specialist who would be able to kind of direct me in that area. And then um, just keep in mind when you do visit with them, let them know what you're going to be using the pastures for, okay? Because that'll make a difference. Like let them know that um, you're going to be using it for horse grazing. That way they can help identify the species of grasses that will be a little bit more tolerant to trampling um, and those horse or those uh, species that'll have really good nutritional value at the times of the year when, when you're going to really need that grazing. Now, in terms of kind of the, the other part of your question um, around ulcer prevention, you know, really the best thing that you can do is ensure that your horses have forage access at all times, okay? So either pasture or hay or both, okay? So the grass species that you end up planting in your pasture, um, that's that's not going to cause or prevent ulcers, okay? Um, and And... So the best focus really is to choose a species or a mix of species that are adapted to your particular place on the map. Um, now, your, your veterinarian made the, the comment um, to avoid sugars and starches in the diet. And really where, what that, um, the intent behind that statement was really more in terms of concentrated grain meals. So you want to avoid things like corn, oats, barley, you know, heavy loads of molasses. Um, and so what you can do is in the grains that you choose to feed, you can ask the manufacturer or you can look at the feed tag and see what the starch and the sugar contents are that are guaranteed and try to manage your non-structural carbohydrate content in your grain meals. Um, because 
yes, feeding heavy loads of starch um, in one meal to a horse, that can contribute to ulcers. So we definitely want to avoid things like that and lean on um, grains that are higher in fats, a little bit higher in fibers, um, and then lower in that total non-structural carbohydrate content. So you know, when I'm, and I guess I'm sure that some of you are wanting me to give a specific number. Um, so if I think in terms of kind of just a generally, um, low starch, uh, grain, I usually kind of try to keep that number at 22% NSC or less. Um, now on a, as a side note, okay. If you had told me that your horses are suffering from metabolic syndromes, um, laminitis, Cushing's tying up, you know, any of those things, my recommendation would change, right? Um, you would first make sure that you are limiting your non-structural carbohydrate content to under 12%. Okay. Your NSC should be under 12. And then I would also be telling you to limit or prevent pasture access altogether. Okay. Um, but ulcers, ulcers don't fall in that category. So the, the best way to prevent ulcers in terms, um, of the forage is, is just to provide constant access to it and then limit, limit stressors as much as possible. So, um, sometimes it's as simple as just, um, you know, a buddy horse. A lot of times a buddy horse is just the ticket to a horse that worries, right? And, and worrying or anxiety is one of those big factors when it comes to the development of gastric ulcers. Um, I also, from a nutritional standpoint, I like to use um, gastric buffers as a supplement on a daily basis. And then I like to increase the rate of those uh, gastric buffers when I travel. So my personal go-to gastric buffer is a supplement called GastroFix. It's by Stride Animal Health. Um, and so that's GastroFix, where the fix is actually spelled P-H-I-X. So that's kind of um, my go-to on horses that that are prone to being a little bit anxious or a little bit worrisome or nervous um, is to just provide a little bit of foregut support to help, you know, soothe that lining, um, help regulate the pH of, of that stomach acid. Okay, if anybody is interested, um, I, I referenced a couple of... Um, articles, um, and, and I put those articles, uh, in the show notes, there's links to those. So if anybody wants to go look at those, um, basically stocking rates, moisture content and forage, things like that, um, go check out those show notes. And then I just want to remind everybody that you can now follow Dr. Jimmy on Facebook and Instagram, just search at Dr. Jimmy or, um, make some posts and use the, use the hashtag feed room chemist, um, tag at Dr. Jimmy, that's at D R J Y M E, um, on your posts. Let me know which, which episodes you guys are loving. Um, let me know how you're incorporating this into your horse's diets. I mean, are, are, are things that you're hearing on this podcast helping you? Are you making changes based on the episodes? Are you, are you doing anything? Like, have there been big revelations? Um, I'd love to, to hear about it and read about it and see it. So um, be sure to share that on social media and tag at Dr. Jimmy and use the hashtag feedroomchemist. Lastly, if you'd like to get in touch with someone for a little bit of nutrition advice, um, I encourage you to fill out the nutrition consultation form at bluebonnetfeeds.com slash nutrition dash consult. And someone from my team will get in touch with you and give you a personalized recommendation and walk through your individual horses program. So I appreciate everyone that's listening. And I hope that this is helping you all become more empowered horse owners.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Feed Room Chemist. If you like what you hear, be sure to share with your friends, post to social media, or give us a review. And as Winston Churchill used to say, no hour of life is wasted that is spent in the saddle. So go saddle up.